0: We're in John 14, and actually, we're going to be in John 14, beginning in verse 15 again. We left off last week. So John chapter 14, I'm going to be reading verse 15 to 24. This is part of what is called the upper room discourse, the upper room conversation. Jesus had with His disciples mere hours before His crucifixion. So very rich. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that You will manifest Yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love Me does not keep My words, and the words that you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me. Now indeed, Lord, let us hear this Word, Your Word, The Word given by the Father, sent through the Son, illumined by the Holy Spirit to our hearts and minds. Remove from us all distractions, especially those inward distractions which play out in our minds and have already uh, been in our minds this morning. Help us that we can see Jesus, hear His truth, and by that truth be shaped in our thinking, in our feeling, and in our doing as we not only sit here this morning, but as we rise up from this place to serve You and walk with You and know You in this world. We pray in His name. Amen. So we were looking last time at Jesus' promise to send the Holy Spirit to be our help in this present life. One of the great encouragements that is ours as Christians is to know that we are not alone In this fight, Uh, the Lord has not abandoned us. He will never leave nor forsake us. He, He hadn't simply given us a bunch of rules and said, okay, see you later, hope it all works out for you. Even after Jesus departs this earth to return to the Father's side, he promises to be present with his disciples. And the answer to the question, how can that be so? How can Jesus be with the Father and at the same time be present with us to help us through this maze of challenges we call life? The answer is found in the promised presence of the Holy Spirit. And it is to that promise we return. And the first thing I want want you to see is a reminder from last week that the promised presence of the Holy Spirit brings a new life of loving obedience to Christ. That's verse 15 through 17. And so Jesus begins here in verse 15 with a statement that is really easy to rip out of context and to read in a legalistic way so that you don't understand what He's saying. Verse 15, He says, If you love Me you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And it's, it's easy, if you read that through legalistic lenses, to think that what he's saying is, you better keep my commandments if you want to prove you really love me. You know, Get out there and get busy keeping commandments. Then I'll know whether or not you love me. But that's not what he's saying. This is not a command. This is a statement of fact. What he's saying is, because you do love me, dear disciple, you will keep my commandments. Because that's the nature of the new heart that you've been given as my disciple. So the first thing to be reminded of this morning is this, that for the Christian, obedience to Christ flows out of a heart of love for Christ, not just a fear of breaking commandments. So that, and here's the practical aspect of that, so that where obedience is lacking in your life, it really is more of a love issue than it is a law issue. And the way to increase your obedience to Christ as a Christian is not to focus on more law, you know, better do this, don't do that, better do good or you'll fall in a vat, or or something like that but instead to draw near to Christ for a deepening heart of love. And and you see, that is where the Holy Spirit comes in. He enables, strengthens, gives that love. There's a very tight connection here in this passage between what Jesus says in verse 15, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments, And what immediately follows in verse 16, and I'll ask the Father and He'll give you another Helper to be with you forever. Because it is the Helper whom He has given who is going to lead us into this deepening life of love and obedience. And so it's the gift of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer that brings a new heart of love for Christ leading to obedience. The gift of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer brings a new heart of love leading to a life of obedience. That, in fact, is at the very heart of the promise of the new covenant. If you remember the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36, in verse 26, God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will place within you. I'll remove that old heart of stone that was impenetrable and resistant to me and I'll put in its place a heart of flesh, a living, vibrant, alive heart. Verse 27, I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. So the obedience of the Christian is more about love than it is about law because of the indwelling Holy Spirit and where obedience is lacking, oh dear Christian, press in with all your heart for more of the love of Christ which is given through the Holy Spirit. You say, okay, how do I do that? Well again, this is where the promise Jesus is making here about the promised Holy Spirit comes in. We saw last time again that equipped by the Holy Spirit with a new heart of love, we have the help we need to live for Christ day by day. Equipped by Him with the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have the help we need to live for Christ day to day. And, and, and by the way, not just the help, right? But more importantly, we're told that we have the presence of the Helper Himself. And, and who is the Helper? That's an easy one, right? The Holy Spirit, God's own Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the third person of the Trinity. And so Jesus tells us here that after His resurrection and ascension, He will ask the Father, and the Father will send another Helper, one just like Jesus, to be with us forever, even the Spirit of Truth. And so God's own Spirit comes to reside in the heart of the believer as our helper. And you remember that word underneath there is that word paraclete. One who comes and stands beside. I mean, who is the paraclete? Well, he is, he's that friend who comes to stand at your side and give you the help that you need. Uh, we saw that this paraclete comes, uh, first of all, uh, to provide us with, with strength to stand In the day of battle. That's the original meaning of of the King James translation of comforter. One who comes with strength. And so the Holy Spirit gives us strength to stand as we pray, as we trust Christ. He also helps us to understand Scripture and apply it to our lives. He, He helps us know that Christ Himself is near to understand that that Jesus is not just a Lord seated on high, but a Lord close at hand, active and alive and present in our lives. And, And so these are just some of the many benefits we receive through the promised presence of the Holy Spirit. But notice what else Jesus says in verse 17. He says, while we, His people, receive these benefits, while we know Him... The lost world, by contrast, knows nothing of him or these benefits. Look at verse 17. He says, Even the Spirit of truth, that's who's coming, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So, what does the faithless world know about the promised Holy Spirit personally and experientially? What do they know of him? Nothing whatsoever. Jesus says that it neither sees Him nor knows Him. And that word to see here is a word that means to perceive. The the world has no perception of the Holy Spirit, no sense of His presence, no clue as to His reality. Why not? Well, because the world in its sin and unbelief is dead to spiritual things. Just as you were, by the way, and as I was. Ephesians two one we read a couple of weeks ago, says, Of all of us, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once lived. You were dead in the grave, lifeless spiritually. Those who are dead to spiritual things have no perception of spiritual realities. Even great big spiritual realities uh, such as the presence of God's Spirit at work in the world, changing lives, rescuing sinners, uh, transforming the broken. I mean, God can be right there doing a mighty work right beside them and they can't see it. They're not aware of it. That's why, by the way, they simply deny it. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, The natural person, that means the person dead in sin without the Spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, their folly, their foolishness to Him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so the spiritually dead are dead to the presence and power of God's Holy Spirit. But here's the point. But you are not, dear Christian you are not dead to Him. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, a miracle has taken place. God has made us alive together with Christ. God has done this work to bring life where there was nothing but death before, spiritual life, real life. This is what we call the new birth. John chapter 3. This is the coming of the promised Holy Spirit to to make us alive with Christ, to make us aware of Christ. So that now, verse 17, Jesus says, You do know Him, for He dwells with you. That that means He's in this room right now. Are you aware of that? Holy Spirit didn't far off in some mythical place. He's here. I mean, actually here in this room with us as we gather. He will be with you and He will be in you. And so as Christians, you and I cannot not know Him because He lives in us. And so Christians are those who've been made alive by the presence of the Spirit of God and so are equipped by that Spirit that we might walk with Christ. There's the first thing this morning. Second thing, building on that then, is to understand that the promised Holy Spirit brings to us an assurance of the daily presence of Christ. An assurance of the presence of Christ. That's verse 18. Jesus speaking, says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live in that day. You will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Listen, this is meant to give you great courage. Christian, I mean, did you hear... The promise here. Oh, I I hope you hear it. I will not leave you as orphans. To be left as an orphan in that culture especially was was to be left destitute and without hope. You had no one to help you. You probably would not survive. Jesus says, I am not doing that to you. I am leaving, yes, but I'm not leaving you as orphans without help because I'm sending another like me. And so Jesus, yes, Jesus is leaving. And they got that part right. But He is leaving them in faithful, competent hands. The Helper, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And so when Christ leaves physically, He does not abandon, indeed, understand this, He will never abandon any of His own. Right? Are you taking that to heart? And so the promise of Christ here is very much like the promise God gave Israel in Deuteronomy 31. Uh, If you remember the scene there in Deuteronomy 31, Moses was about to leave them. And they, just like the apostles here, were afraid. I mean, how can we go on without Moses? Moses has led us all these years. Moses has been our, 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 our link to God. Moses has given us God's law. Moses has been God's spokesman. How, how can we go on? And they felt as though they were about to be abandoned. But then God gives them this promise. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, meaning all the pagan peoples around them who had it in for them. Don't be afraid of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Verse 8, he says it again, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And then that's repeated in Hebrews 13, just so we know it's just not an Old Testament thing. Hebrews 13.5 says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so here we are in our situation, and there you are in your situation with your battles, facing your enemies, and the threats around us that can make us afraid. We don't have the physical presence of Jesus to lean on, but we do have His promise. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Oh, Christian, you need to take, take that to heart. In your times of trial and fear and uncertainty, those times when you do feel abandoned, let me remind you that you are not now, nor will you ever be abandoned by Him. You're just not. It's not going to happen. If you are His, you'll never be abandoned. In fact, notice the second half of that. This is really good. Verse eighteen, he not He says, "I will not leave you uh, as orphans. I will come to you." Listen, he says, "I will come to you," and, and the verb he uses here is actually in the present tense. "I am come to you. I, I'm coming." He says. And it's a continuous present kind of thing. At no point have you been abandoned because I am always coming to you. I am coming in a continuous stream of my presence so that I'm with you when you're fighting temptation and really feel like giving up. I am with you in the night when you cry those tears on your pillow and you think that nobody sees and nobody cares, but I'm there, I see, and I care. As long as I am the Lord, you will never be alone because I am always with you. Isn't that the promise Jesus left ringing in the ears of the apostles just before He ascended to the Father's right hand? Matthew 28, verse 20, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. And so we are talking about the real and continual presence of Jesus with his disciples, with us, Christ with us every step of the way. This is a great comfort to the Christian. This is one of those things we must stand on and believe and remind ourselves daily Christ is with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Okay, that's good. But here's the question How is Christ with us? I mean, I don't see Him, do you? Looking around, I don't see His presence. So, where do I go to find Him? The key to understanding that is found in what He says next, verse 19 and 20. Yet a little while, the world will see Me no more, but you will see Me. Because I live, you will also live in that day. You will know that I am in My Father, and you in Me, and I in you now what do you reckon Jesus is talking about there yet a little while and the world will see me no more when's that going to be well just a few hours from saying that Jesus was arrested tried crucified and buried from that point on the world never saw him again From that point on, they just assume He's dead and gone. And even when He uh, rises from the dead three days later, they, the world, don't see Him. Jesus doesn't come back and stand in the middle of the temple court and say, look, here I am, I was dead and now I'm alive. I mean, He'll do that one day. But not then. He did show Himself. He did prove that He was alive with wonderful, fantastic proofs, but only... At that point, to his followers. Except for the Apostle Paul, who was an unbeliever at the time, just a few months later, all of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances are given to believers to confirm their faith. Maybe James also could be in the category with Paul. But for the most part, only those who were in the body. But the world, in its unbelief and sin, did not see him again. By the way, they still can't see him. Because... Remember, unbelieving eyes are by nature spiritually blinded eyes. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, speaking of the unbelievers, says in their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. This is why in evangelism and sharing with friends and neighbors and family, you must always proceed with prayer. Start with prayer. Ask God to do the miracle that you can't do. Trust that He will do that miracle. But Jesus says, once I'm gone physically, the world that only perceives physical things will see me no more. Ah, but here's the difference. But you, church, will see me, Jesus says. The world will see me no more, but you will see me. Now, when is that? I think there are two basic answers to that question in this text. The first is, for these disciples, standing there listening to Jesus, that's going to be very soon indeed. As soon as Jesus rises from the dead three days later, He will appear to them and they will see Him. Verse 19, again, yet a little while, and for them just a matter of hours, you will see me and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Now let's not rush past this one too quickly because it is so very important for our faith. If Jesus did not rise from the dead physically on the third day after His crucifixion and be seen, our faith is a sham and your salvation is a lie. You understand that? Paul said that very clearly. First Corinthians 15 14 if Christ has not been raised, meaning bodily and physically from the grave, our preaching is empty, vain, worthless. Your faith is empty, vain worthless. It matters tremendously that the disciples saw Jesus alive on the third day, risen indeed. We're going to celebrate that really soon, aren't we? Amen. Let's practice. He is risen. Yeah, I like it. That's why the New Testament places such weight on the reality of Christ's resurrection. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, as Paul writes this, though some have fallen asleep, then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me, also so when did these disciples see Jesus again according to this promise immediately after his resurrection from the dead that's one answer and it's a very important answer but it's not all he's talking about here because verse 9 goes on to tell us we also now perceive the risen Jesus spiritually through the indwelling Holy Spirit. You'll notice I use the word perceive there because that is actually the word he uses in verse 19. He says, Yet a little while the world will not see me, but you will see me. And the Greek word for see there is the word theoreo, not the usual word bleppo which means just to, to look at a physical object, but, but here it carries the idea of, of, of perceiving something, of, of seeing the truth about something. Once Jesus left physically, the world could no longer perceive anything about Him because they're blind spiritually. What about us? He says we do perceive Him. In fact, not only do we perceive Him, we are in a relationship with Him so that we're getting life from Him. Verse 19 says, don't you love the way Jesus tosses that in there? Because I live, you also will live. So His resurrection carries benefits forward to us in the here and now. What's He talking about? He's talking now about our spiritual union with Christ. And we'll get into this a whole lot more when we get to John 15 really soon. Can't wait for that. But this is one of those truly wonderful realities that grips our lives as believers in Christ today. That the reason that we know we've not been abandoned is because we know Christ is still with us spiritually. And how do we know that? Through the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit. We have been plugged into the reality of Christ, our risen Lord, and are daily drawing new life from Him. Because I live, Jesus says, you will live. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and Jesus just told us that He does, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Jesus says, my life is alive in you. That's why there's going to be a resurrection. That's why then there's a third way we're going to see Him when He appears and comes back bodily, physically into this world at the last day. But building on that, verse 20 goes on to say, and in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. In that day? What day? Well, for them, it was Christ's resurrection day. When it all came home, they saw Him and they suddenly knew this is who He is. It's all true. And He's in the Father and we're in Him and let's go evangelize the world. (laughs) For us, it is the sending of the Holy Spirit after the resurrection at Pentecost... Because now we also know for ourselves this is all true. And there's a final uh, confirmation of this in His second coming. But here we're talking about death, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Hey, in this sense, we're all Pentecostals now. I don't mean a denomination, I don't mean speaking in tongues, but I mean the experienced reality of the risen Christ making Himself known to us through the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? He says you will know. He means you will have an experience of this. It won't merely be theoretical. This will become real to you that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Now, what's he talking about? Because this is, this is good stuff here. He's talking about the, the living reality of a depth of communion that we now have with the living Christ. Something that we experience. Something real. In the olden days, I talked about the felt presence of Christ, the real presence of Christ, uh, the, the, the spiritual presence of Christ, the mystical presence of Christ. All of these things. Look what he tells us. First of all, he says, with the sending of the Holy Spirit, we will know something of His depth of communion with the Father. Again, verse 20, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father. Remember, we talked about this last week, this depth of relationship that Christ as the Son shares eternally with God the Father and God the Spirit in the relationship of the Trinity. How how each one indwells the others with a union and communion that binds them together in love. I mean, listen, never forget... That at the very heart of who God is, there is a warm, loving relationship. A union and communion of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as they delight in one another, enjoy each other's presence, and live in loving harmony with one another. And Jesus says, you'll know something of that. It will come home to you that this is who I am. But even more than knowing His union and communion with the Father. Second, He says, and you will experience also something of this reality, this union and communion with God Yourself through me. Again, verse 20. In that day, as the Holy Spirit comes, fills the church, begins to empower us and point us toward eternity, you will know that I am in my Father, that's who I am, and you are in me and I am. In you united to Christ by faith we enter into a new spiritual reality with him that assures us of his love and presence In fact, there's a comparison he makes here. Just as Christ exists in the loving embrace and daily presence of His Father in heaven, so also now we exist in the loving embrace and daily presence of Christ with us here on earth through the Holy Spirit. Now you ponder that one for a while. Just as Christ has this assurance of the loving embrace and ongoing presence of His Father working in and through His life as the Son, so also in some comparative way, we also now know the loving embrace and daily presence of Christ here on earth through the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is a mystery that is almost too wonderful to describe. But just look at the words He uses. You are in Me. Oh dear one, this is what a Christian is. A Christian isn't just someone who's made a decision and starts to get religious. A Christian is someone who's been rescued from this world of sin and death and plunged into a new life of love and grace in the living presence by union with Christ. We now live in Christ. His grace surrounds us. His presence permeates us and gives life to us daily. And so the whole of our lives is now defined by one thing. We are in Christ. I don't do this a lot, but just say that with me. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we gain all the benefits and the blessings that belong to Christ through our faith union with Him. More on that later. And then he says, and I am in you. I'm in you by the ever-present Holy Spirit. Christ Himself dwells within the Christian. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means Christ's life dwells in you. Christ's grace dwells in you. Christ's love dwells in you. Christ's peace dwells in you. Christ's holiness dwells in you, which is why we can no longer live in sin. All that Christ is for His people is not far away out of reach, but living at home in and through you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And dear one, this this is why a conscious daily communion with Christ is so important for the Christian. Drawing near to him in his word, speaking to him through prayer, worshiping and surrendering to his will, making sure that you are aware of his presence daily as he dwells in you and you in him in an ongoing communion of love. Do you know this love? Is it a part of your daily life? That's what he's purchased for you. It brings us to this third thing, just very quickly. This one's short. That means we, we can have this assurance. The promised presence of the Holy Spirit gives us confidence that we are indeed loved by God in Christ. Look at verse 21. This is good. Whoever has My commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves Me, and he who loves Me will be loved by My Father, and I will love him and manifest Myself to him. And so first of all, we have basically a repeat of verse 15. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Here in verse 21, Whoever has My commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves Me. And again, You've got to be careful not to read this as a legalist. Please don't be a legalist. He's not saying, if you want to know My love, you better get really busy and keep My commands. This is all on you. No, the point is, this will be true of you if you're My disciple. This is what the Spirit brings into your life, granting you assurance in the things that I'm saying. In fact, the emphasis here falls on the phrase, here's the one who loves Me. That one is the way it's phrased in the original. Here's the evidence. You keep My commandments because you love Me. It's the One who keeps hold of My commandments means He he treasures them. You treasure them because you treasure Christ. It's very much like Psalm 119.11. I eleven. I've treasured Your Word in my heart that I may not sin against You. Lord, I so treasure my life with You and my communion with You that I've kept hold of Your Word because it's life to me, because it brings me near to You. I love it. I obey it because I want You. You see, that's the heart attitude of the Christian. We're, no, no, we haven't reached perfection yet. Oh, we still sin. Oh, God, help us. We still sin. But love for Christ drives us back to him, back to his word, back to repentance again and again and again. So that we can say the Holy Spirit living in us gives us a love for Christ that drives us back to his word and obedience. Second thing here, the Holy Spirit living within us also gives us from that an assurance of God's love for us. Do you see that? Oh, tell me that you see this, verse 21. Whoever has My commands and keeps them, He is the one who loves Me. And He who loves Me will be loved by My Father and I will love Him and manifest Myself to Him. Oh, to know with assurance that you are loved by God. I don't just mean in some general sort of way, just reasoning, well, you know, God loves everybody, so surely He loves me too. I mean a real and specific confidence that He loves me. As Paul says, he loves me and gave himself for me. And so, again, we're to have the assurance that he loves you so that he is for you, not against you. That he does indeed hold your life as precious. We're, we're talking about a real assurance that you are loved by God. Now, where does that come from? Well, here it is. If there is a love for Christ in your heart, that love is but an echo of His prior love for you. Which came first, your love for Him or His love for you? His love for you. And so where a real love for Christ exists impelling you toward Him, leading you to obedience, the very fact of that love alive in you is proof positive of His prior love for you. 1 John 4.19 says, We love Him because He first loved us. The whole thing begins with Him. And so the presence of a love for Christ in your heart is the evidence of the prior love that God has and has given to you. This love didn't start with you. It started with Him. So love for Christ in you confirms the love He has for you. Do you get that? It's a mirror. You look in the mirror and, and, and even in your worst days and when you sin you say, but do I love Christ? You say, yes, I love Christ. And you say, well, where did that come from? It came from His love for me reaching down. Why do I repent? Because I, He loved me and gave Himself to me. And I want to repent because I want more of Him. The, the, the confirmation of His love for me is that now through grace I love Him. And so that finally... The Holy Spirit's love within us, His love for Christ in us, assures us, not only that Christ loves us, but we will see Christ. We will see Christ, verse 21, and I will love Him and manifest myself to Him. Now, we'll pick this up next week. But to manifest something is to make it visible, to make it real To make it perceptible to someone. When the risen Jesus stood before the disciples on that first Easter alive, it got real for them in that moment. He was alive! Likewise, when the Holy Spirit manifests Jesus' presence to us, it gets real for us. We know He is alive. We see that he hasn't abandoned us. We're not on our own. His presence is with us to forgive us and strengthen us and to give us hope. And that promise keeps us seeking him. It as we keep turning to him in our need and with our sin and our fears to find hope. Dear one, are you seeking Christ this morning? Do do you trust him? Out of love? Are you seeking to obey Him? Are you taking His His word and, and looking for Him there to be active in your life just as He promised? You know, I thought about this this week. We ought to be seeking the presence of Christ the way a lover seeks her beloved daily. Oh, to be in His arms. Oh, to draw near to Him. We ought to seek Him like that in worship. We ought to seek Him in time in the Word. We ought to seek Him in prayer and in times of fellowship. We ought to run to Him in our times of fear and uncertainty as well as our times of joy and thanksgiving. We ought to begin our days and end our nights in His presence leaning upon His breast like John did in the upper room. We ought to be constantly praying In fact, I'll close with this prayer. We ought to be looking to Him and saying something like this as you bow and I'll just say it. And this is the kind of thing we ought to be saying to Jesus. Lord Jesus, here I am in Your presence. I believe the promises of Your Word. I believe You are with me to help me and will never abandon me. So Lord, help me see that You are near. Help me, Holy Spirit, to entrust to trust my Savior's presence. Increase my love for Him. Help me walk with Him and yield to Him in everything. Let me see Jesus at every step. And when I lose sight of Him, bring me back quickly. That I might live in His presence and love Him with my obedience in all things to the praise of the glory of His grace. Amen.